you have a, a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, find Exodus chapter 30. Been working our way section by section through the book of Exodus, and today is going to seem a little out of place. Today's section, it's been talking all about the tabernacle, the priests, you really can't think it'll get any better, and then there's just these instructions here in chapter 30 that you're like, what is going on? But like all of this section, we'll see that God is something incredibly important to show us. In fact, I would venture to argue chapter 30 is the most important section of the law that we have gotten to study so far. So look with me, Exodus chapter 30. We're going to read the passage, and then we're going to see all that God would have to say to us. The Word of God says, You shall make an altar on which to burn incense, and you shall make it of Achaia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its side and its horns, and you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two gold rings for it. Under its molding, on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles for which you shall carry it. You shall make the poles of Achaia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the Ark of the Testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering. You shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord. When you shall number them, when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 gura the half shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who's numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your life. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the, tent of the, for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring, be, bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for their lives. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stands of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. And when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn the food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations." 
The Lord said to Moses, take to the finest spices, a liquid myrrh, 500 shekel, and a sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much. That is 250 and 250 of aromatic cane and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hind of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it, you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the, ta- and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of the burnt offering with all its incense and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy, whoever, whatever touches them will be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. It shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it and whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, sorry, stacked and anaka and galbanum and sweet spices with with pure frankincense of each shall there be equal part and make an incense blended as by the perfumer seasoned with salt pure and holy. He shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to the composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. This is the word of God. We've all been told and have told a lie for as long as I can remember. You are not perfect just the way you are. You are not perfect just the way you are. Sure, you are a creation of God, dearly loved, eternally and infinitely valuable, created in the image of God, but none of us are perfect. First, because we're creation, and creation, by definition, is not perfect. But we're also fallen creation. All of us have disobeyed God's word and walked in our own way. This is why we need atonement. Now, the word atonement originates with a man named William Tyndale. He's a famous Christian martyr. And friends, William Tyndale is part of the reason you have an English Bible in your hands today. He died in order that the Bible might be translated into our vernacular, and for his life and for many others like it, we are thankful. And as he was translating the Bible into English, he wanted to try to have an English word that could capture the glory and the incredible reality that sinful humanity could be reconciled to a holy God. And the word he used and popularized, it's kind of debated whether he was the first to use it or really the first to popularize it, was the word atonement. And I want you to look at that word, the word atonement, a little bit. It says, at one mint. At 
one meant. The word atonement images two parties at odds being brought into oneness. Two people and parties at war being brought to peace. Two parties with irreconcilable differences being reconciled together. In Exodus 30, while seeming out of place, actually brings us to the most important day in the life of Israel. We've been given instructions regarding the tabernacle, the priesthood, and friends, all of these instructions here bring us to Israel's highest and most holy day. The holy day, the day of atonement, when the high priest would enter behind the veil and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Look at verse 10 of chapter 30. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns, Once a year, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year. Throughout your generations, it is most holy to the Lord. Friends, these instructions here aren't just sort of tacked on to make sure they get all the details about it. This is actually the most important part of the priest's job than the most greatest and most important work that they would offer a lamb for the atonement of sins. And this whole chapter is here to teach us about atonement. What is atonement and what does it mean to have atonement for your sins? And there are four realities that we see in this passage. Four realities about atonement that I want us to see. First, through atonement, God invites us into fellowship. Through atonement, God invites us into fellowship. Think about this. The holy, righteous, self-sufficient creator of the universe welcomes you to have life with him. And he makes it possible through the gift of atonement. In verses 1 to 10, you read about an altar of incense where incense were lit in the tabernacle. And it's interesting, we see this is the last thing the priest would cross before they would open the veil and enter into the most holy place. It's the last thing they would pass before entering into where God's presence dwelt there in the desert. Verse 1 to 6 gives instructions for the building of the altar. Verse 7 to 10 gives instructions on how they're to light the incense, what to do and what not to do. Look at verse 6. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it every morning. When he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generation. So the inside of the tabernacle... It was full of smoke. You ladies can use this with your husbands to go, well, God's pro-candles. He had them in the tabernacle, so I just need to buy a few more fall candles this year, right? But notice, all the senses were engaged while they're serving in the tabernacle. Notice, think about this. They're in this enclosed tent, and they have the incense lit. Likely, the smoke would have burned their eyes a little bit, and they would have had the smell that just constantly filled their nose. This isn't a verse about fog machines in churches. 
But it is a verse about enjoying life with God. Because the most holy place was the place that the priests went to represent the nation before God. And the priest would light this incense day and night, filling the tabernacle at all times. The inside of the tabernacle had fire and cloud, fire and smoke. And the people of God in the wilderness were very familiar with fire and cloud. Remember, they'd been led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And that same God is there with them in the tabernacle. The fire and the smoke that had led them was there in the tabernacle. Through the incense, God is saying, I'm inviting you into life with me. Through the atonement, God is offering any and all to experience life in him. Because friends, through the atonement, God turns us into a fragrant incense and an offering to him. In fact, the Bible tells us throughout that we as his people are turned into a fragrant offering in order that we might live in a way that pleases God. Let me show you this, Ephesians 5.2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus is a fragrant offering. And so we're now able to live, 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 16, says, for we as Christians, as followers of Christ, are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? In other words, friends, if you, if you are walking in life with God, you're going to smell And to those who are walking in life, it's going to smell good. To those walking in death, it's going to smell bad. Through the atonement of Jesus, friends, we are put in right relationship with him, in fellowship with God. God is pleased with us because he is pleased with Jesus and we are found in him. If you're looking for a pathway to right relationship with God, it doesn't start with good works, just living a good life. Because none of us could ever live a perfectly moral life. Nor is it found in empty rituals. Because rituals, apart from their reality, really aren't worth it at all. But friends, it's founded in Jesus Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, that is where the pathway to life with God begins. That's how stinky people become a fragrant offering to God. And God wants wants more than to make you smell good. He wants you to experience life with him. The good news of the atonement, friends, is God doesn't simply save you for heaven. He does do that. But he also allows eternal life to begin now. For so many people, their faith is about, man, I just kind of want to go to heaven when I die. Friends, he wants you to enjoy him here and now and also forever. We're able to enjoy God and enjoy life and fellowship with him now, even before we die. 
And the Bible actually says that the prayers and the praise that we just offered and any of the prayer and praise that you offer is a sweet aroma to God. In fact, throughout the Bible, incense becomes a symbol for prayer and praise that pleases God. Let me show you this. The psalmist wrote this, Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hand as the evening sacrifice. In the first century, around the time John the Baptist and Jesus were born, the people would go to the temple at the hour when the incense was lit, and that was the time of prayer. Luke 1.10 says this, The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And in John's great revelation vision, we see this, Revelation 8.4, And the smoking of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Through Jesus, we are made into a fragrant offering, and our prayer and our praise become a sweet offering to God. Have you ever felt like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling? Friends, let this be an encouragement to you. God's word guarantees that if you are in Jesus, if you are adopted into God's family as his child, your prayers go through the ceiling and right into the ears of your father in heaven. You have God on speed dial. As one of our youth here says, you can be besties with God. Friends, you... Can, you have a loving, heavenly father, and the fathers and mothers here understand, if you hear your child cry out in the middle of the night, you're up and at it, right? Friends, you have that relationship with your father in heaven. He hears your prayers, and he delights in them. Your prayers don't just hit the ceiling. They go through the floor of heaven to the ears of your Savior. But the question is, do we even attempt to offer him prayer? Would we rather live a stinky life of self-sufficiency where we think we can do it on our own or offer God a sweet aroma of reliance and prayer and praise? Because God has not made us to rely on ourselves, but on him. Our, your reliance on him is a sweet sound to his ears, a sweet smell to his nose, and a sweet sight to his eyes. Through the atonement, sins are forgiven. You're put in right relationship with God, and you can enjoy God forever. Not just a punch card to get to heaven, but abiding in relationship with him. Oh, what a joyous gift the atonement is, and there's more. Here's the second thing we see about the atonement. Through the atonement, God ransoms our life. Through the atonement, God ransoms our life. We turn from the altar of incense to everyone's favorite thing, taxes. He moves from the altar of incense to the reality of taxes. He talks about this census tax. And there's lots of scholars that have different ideas about this. One of them, which I think is likely, this would have been for every man, 20 and up, that would have paid this. Anyone who could go to war, potentially, would pay this, whether for themselves or on behalf of their family, and they would pay half a shekel as a redemption price. 
I'm sorry to tell y'all, God doesn't necessarily have a problem with taxes in and of themselves, right? This was used to support the work of the priests and the nation. Remember, Jesus himself held up a coin, said, whose image is on this? And he says, pan to Caesar, that which is Caesar's. And then he looks at you and says, pan to God, that which is God's, because God's image is on you. So make sure to give both what they deserve. And notice, yes, God says, hey, pay the census tax. But notice, at least he's for a flat tax. Look at verse 15. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your life. It says, everyone, give a half shekel, whether rich or poor. The rich couldn't push it off on others. Go, well, somebody else will pay that for me. The poor had to find a place for it in their budget. Half shekel was not a crushing amount. A shekel would have been about 11 grams of something. So we're talking half a shekel. And it was given so that all the people who gave in were basically saying, hey, this tabernacle, this priest, this atonement, the work they're doing, count me in. I'm putting my hope there. Verse 16 says it this way. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and you shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for their lives. Now some might think, is he saying that they give the half shekel in order that they might be saved? That's certainly not what he's saying. That's far from the truth. Rather, he's teaching us a dual lesson about the availability and the cost of faith. The availability of faith, here's the thing, friends, anyone can get in on the atonement. Anyone could get in on this. The invitation is for any and all to find life in the presence of God through the atonement. But it's also a reminder that even though faith is available, faith is not always easy. There is sacrifice that always must be made. Not in some sort of way that the more you sacrifice, the more you merit, but rather, friends, by giving the ransom tax, they were joining God's team. They were saying, hey, the pagan worship and the pagan culture around me that's so popular and prevalent, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to commit my life to following after Yahweh, and that's going to cost something, just as it does in our culture today. Jesus would ask a profound question of his followers that I would have all of us to ask ourselves. This is Luke chapter 14. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Friends, have you counted the cost for your faith? I think this is one of the things that many of our young people experience the moment they get out of these safe church walls, they go off to college, and then they begin to realize, this is actually going to cost me something. Friends, being a follower of Jesus means the world is going to see you as a bigot. Being a follower of Jesus may mean you have to go against the grain of where your friends and your peers are going. Being a follower of Jesus means you will have to do business differently than the way your competitors may do so. 
Being a follower of Jesus will not make your life easier, but it will make it worth it. Friends, have we counted the cost? So many of us are used to living in our nice Katie's bubble. Friends, it doesn't maybe cost as much on the surface to be a Christian. Well, as long as you're a good church-going person, right? Here, they expect everybody to be that way. In fact, in Katie's, everybody and their dog is a Christian and has been baptized at least twice in several churches in this community. But friends, the way of the cross is never easy, never comfortable. Have we counted the cost and are we ready for whatever might come when it comes to being faithful to Jesus? Because through the atonement, God has ransomed your life. He has purchased your life. You're no longer your own. You belong to him. Sunday, Monday, any other day of the week, you belong to God. He has purchased you and has called you to serve him. Far more than a half shekel, Jesus gave his life in order that you might give your life to him, God has ransomed your life. Third, here's the third reality of the atonement. That through the atonement, God washes us clean. We move from an altar of incense. We talk about some taxes. Then we move to a basin of water. Look at verse 18. You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar. And you shall put water in it, from which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may, die, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and his offspring throughout their generations." Friends, there was a basin for the priest to take a bath. At least for them to wash their hands and their feet before they entered into work. Now, the primary concern here was not about germs. I know we live in a world where there's germex everywhere. Friends, and that's not what the primary concern is. That, that wasn't what God's concern was about. I actually was down at West Katie's Park, and they still have little germex things just sitting out there from Hamfest. I'm like, who's using these? But rather, this was a symbol for purity. In fact, notice God says that if they come into his presence dirty, they will die. That's because God is holy. None of us in and of ourselves can just enter into God's presence. God requires a perfect righteousness, a perfect cleanliness, both morally and spiritually to enter into his presence. And friends, that's the standard, and that means we're all in trouble. But the good news is that what God requires, God provides. Jesus has come to cleanse us from sin. Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, is able to wash you in a way that the bronze, that the bronze basin could only symbolize. Friends, Germex, if you read it, can kill 99.9% .9 of germs. Jesus is able to kill 100% of sin. You may feel like you're too dirty to come into the presence of God. And in part, you're right. Left to yourselves, we are all too dirty to come into the presence of God. 
But that's why we come through Jesus who cleanses us from our sins. Jesus says, come as you are, but he says, be ready. I'm not going to leave you there. And he cleanses and forgives our sins. Look at the promise of 1 John. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God desires the first step toward life with God is to admit you're dirty and that you need to be clean. And then turn to Jesus to repent, confess your sins, and to accept Jesus as the faithful son who died that you might be clean, who rose that you might have resurrection life. He invites you to come as you are, but to leave transformed day by day more into who he would call you to be. The late pastor Tim Keller, he served in Manhattan, author of many books. He put it this way, and I love this. You are far more sinful than you could ever dare imagine, and you are far more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope at the same time. You are far more sinful than you could ever dare imagine and far more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope. Friends, Jesus says, come as you are, and he means it. He will do the work to clean you up from your sins, but he does way more than that. Friends, He will wash you clean more than a basin of water could. But the fourth reality is the most incredible thing, that through the atonement, God makes us holy. He doesn't just wash away your sins. He actually makes you holy. The majority of the text deals with instructions for incense and anointing oil. It's where I encountered some spices that I'd never read the names of before, right? These fine spices to anoint themselves and to anoint the whole tabernacle. I want you to look at verse 29. You shall consecrate them. He he lists off basically everything. You need to bake this holy oil and cover everything with it, that they may be holy. Whoever touches them will be holy. He says, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, and whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from the people. Notice he says, this is oil for a particular purpose. This was holy oil to make the whole tent and the priests holy. And I want you to just consider for a moment the priests being holy. There's sort of a paradox here because he says they're holy because they've been anointed with oil, yet they're obviously still sinners because they have to offer a sacrifice every year for themselves. They continue to not live a perfect life. They continue to need to have a sacrifice given They have a positional holiness, but they need to actually become personally holy. And the same way that the priests are both holy and yet in need, so it's true for us as followers of Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus, you are holy and you are becoming more holy. You are called holy, and you are becoming more righteous. If you are in Christ, you have been anointed with the, with the holy, righteous, anointing oil of Christ himself, who offered himself once for all, that you might be called holy even as you grow in holiness. 
You've been cleansed full and free from sin, and yet God is still working to pull up the weeds in your heart and to clean us from the, out, from the inside out. The Bible puts it this way. I love this. This is Hebrews 10, 14. This is probably one of my favorite verses. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Let me simplify it down. The NIV puts it in a super simple way. It says this, for by one sacrifice, he being Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is the most important thing that you can see that through Jesus and his atoning work on the cross, if you've placed your faith and trust in him, God has declared you to be holy. That's why you're no longer in a relationship with God where you work and work and work and work to earn his favor. His favor is purchased and done in yours. He has credited you with the perfect righteousness of Jesus. When God looks at you, believer, he sees Jesus in your place. Yet he also says that for those who are positionally holy, he says, I want to make you more like my son and an everyday growth in your life. God has credited you what he desires for you to grow into. He who began a good work in you will bring it forth to the day of completion. What he says you are in Christ, he wants you to live more out in your day-to-day life. Your identity is meant to become your practice and how you live. In the atonement, God has made you holy, and by abiding in Christ, he will make you more holy. You are and are becoming. Let me land the plane here, because atonement is the single most important word that's missing from our vocabulary. In fact, again, William Tyndale had to sort of coin the word to to be able to describe the most glorious reality in the world that God saves sinners. And God has given the whole tabernacle, the priesthood, the altars. He's really given you the whole Bible that you might marvel at one word, atonement. And that you might say, I want in on that. And today, you can receive the atonement of Jesus Christ for the first time. You can receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and the atonement will be applied to you by turning from your sin and yourself and trusting in Jesus. God can wash you clean, can bring you into fellowship, can make you and declare you to be holy, and you no longer need a yearly sacrifice by a high priest. We have a sacrifice who has died once for all and risen again on our behalf. You can have at one mint with God through trust alone in Jesus Christ alone. And that changes your eternity, but it also changes how you view your life. It should change how you view your neighbor because atonement is the greatest need that your neighbor has. Who do you know in your sphere of influence, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your family, who needs atonement for their sins? Well, everybody, because everybody is a sinner. Therefore, everyone needs atonement. All of us are sick, and we need the cure of the great physician. Let me encourage you to make sharing Jesus a priority this week. 
Begin with prayer. Ask God to open your eyes and your heart to prepare for an opportunity to seek the lost. Maybe even a name is coming to your mind right now. Commit to pray for them daily that God might open their hearts and give you an opportunity. Prepare your words. Make sure that you know what to say when that opportunity presents itself. Because let me tell you, the scary thing about God is when you ask him for an opportunity, he will give it to you. It just may not come at the time you're most ready or prepared for it. It's one of the reasons on Wednesday nights, our men's group has been talking about how to share our faith and some of the basics of discussing our faith with others. Are you prepared to explain the atonement to others? And if not, how can, we get, how can you get prepared to do that? And finally, prepare for action. God has saved you that you might be an ambassador for the gospel to everyone you meet. Because, friends, we have the greatest news in all the world. Atonement is available full and free in Jesus. And may we share that news to every corner of the world, whether in Cadiz, in Fort Campbell, in, in the New England area, in Peru, and to every corner of the earth. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father in heaven, we have no greater gift to thank you for than the gift of atonement. You, through Jesus, have done everything necessary that we might be at peace with God. We have been justified by faith, through the giving of a greater offering, through the giving of your precious and holy Son, that we might have life and life more abundant through Jesus, that we might be credited righteous, washed clean of our sins, given, uh, become a new creation, that we might live that out in every day of our life. I pray right now if there's anybody here who has not placed their faith in the atonement of Jesus, that you would convict their heart now to see their dirtiness, but also that they might run to the one who's able to make them clean. For by one sacrifice, you have made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And may you convict us today of people who need to know you more and give us an opportunity to share them. Receive the pleasant incense of our prayers and our praise as we respond. And we ask and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
In the light of it.